Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. It sometimes seems that all we hear about these days on the news are the elections. Well, that's because once an election is over, the candidates start running again for their next election. So it's a seemingly nonstop event. Fortunately, we only hold national elections every two years, or it could be worse. What would life be like if we held five elections in four years? That's what Israel did on November 1st, with many of the same candidates and parties running against each other for the fifth time. Why have they had so many elections? What were the results? What similarities have we seen between the USA and Israel elections? And why are we concerned about elections in another country? I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we will walk you through the Israeli political system and the importance of this country in God's prophetic timeline. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. On November 1st, Benjamin Netanyahu scored a stunning comeback victory to regain the title of prime minister. But as Debbie just said, this is the fifth election in the past four years. So is there any reason to think that this election and this coalition will have any more stability to govern in the best interests of Israel than the previous four? The elections in America and Israel are both important to each of our individual countries, as well as to the future stability of the rest of the world. But as students of Bible prophecy, we know that they also play an important part in determining where we might be on the timeline of end times Bible prophecy and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, amen. And boy, is that going to be an exciting time. We can hardly wait. And yet in the process, we are watching what's happening in Israel in their elections. And I, for one, am really excited that Bibi Netanyahu was reelected because he is a conservative, hawkish leader who wants the best for Israel's security, whereas some of the other progressive leaders have not made the best decisions for Israel. So while we want Jesus to return on one hand, on the other, we still would like to see Israel running a conservative government to protect their citizens. So let me first explain their political process, because it's unique. It's different than ours. In this past election, they had 17 parties on the ballot. We generally have two or three, maybe four, but two major ones. The rest don't tend to get too many votes. So Israel's unique in that regard. They have a 120-member Knesset. That's their ruling body. They only have one. They don't have a House and a Senate. They just have a unicameral, almost like ours is. In the electoral process, you don't vote for a person like we do. You vote for a party. And that party is either right-wing or left-wing or Arab or religious or any of a number of factions that they have over in Israel. So the prime minister must gain 61 members who will support him forming a coalition along his belief line. That 61 is one over half of the Knesset. What we've seen over the last several years is that people couldn't garner those 61 votes. Or if they did, by the time they were able to put together a coalition, somebody backed out. 
and they didn't have enough people. So another election had to be held. The government can dissolve at any time in Israel, which is different than ours. We have elections every four years for president. They also have elections every four years unless their government dissolves. Their government can dissolve by just one person deciding that they don't like what the prime minister did and back out of his coalition. I say one person. It would have to draw the prime minister's coalition to 60 or under for that to happen because then he wouldn't have a majority of the Knesset. So someone like the newly elected prime minister, Netanyahu, could form a coalition in 28 days, which is what they're given. And then the 29th day, somebody could back out and they could have to go back to re-elections. It's really a unique system that they have. I was listening to Carolyn Glick in her podcast, and she was so excited, first of all, that Netanyahu was back in. Talked about how he had some sort of genius as he was bringing his parties together that they coalesced five of them into four. So for some reason, that was good, and that was um, something that helped them. But his coalition is much more of his persuasion. So some of what's been going on, the volatility over the last five elections has been because some of the coalitions were really forced. And so you had people who didn't agree with each other many times. And so that's why you had the volatility that caused Knesset membership of the ruling party to be 60 or less. So they had to have another election. They do believe that this one is going to be more stable. I I can hope and pray that that's the case. You said that Netanyahu has a coalition of four parties. Those are the Likud, the Religious Zionist Party, Shas, and the United Torah Judaism. And as you say, they're all very conservative parties. Now that helps because the left wing had to coalesce with a large number of parties in order to get their number, and they didn't. Last election, one of the reasons that populists voted against the current administration is because they made a coalition with the United Arab List Party, which is called RAM. At that time, RAM had 12 to 14 seats in the Knesset, and the progressive parties needed those seats. So they compromised with the Arabs, which made a lot of people in Israel mad because the Arabs have a totally different mentality about how to govern Israel than the Israelis do. Because the people were so upset by that, the United Arab Party only received five votes or five people in the Knesset for this upcoming 25th Knesset season. So it's been a very unique election process and election system over the last several years. Now, where we are now is that the election took place November 1st. Benjamin Netanyahu and his coalition received 64 of the 120 votes. So they have enough to form a coalition. What happens now is that President Itzhak Herzog will, on November 9th, select the party that he believes can form a government. Now, that's interesting because even though Netanyahu's party won the most seats in the Knesset, the president might determine that he can't form a coalition and not give him that opportunity. That's not going to happen this time, but it has happened in the past. So then Benjamin Netanyahu will have 28 days to build a coalition, which it sounds like he has already done and should be much easier with just four parties to work with. And he could have a technically a 14-day extension if necessary. The most challenging part of this entire electoral process, though, is the coalition building. Because here's where it gets interesting is every coalition has a leader. 
And every leader in the coalition wants a particular job in the government. There's only so many big jobs, and there's only so many people to fill them. So you have, for example, the Religious Zionist Party that's run by Itamar Ben-Gvir, and he wants to be the head of the education department because he wants more religious teaching in all of the schools than what is being taught now. That may be a possibility for him, or may not. And if it's not, will he get mad and decide he doesn't want to be in the coalition? So building this coalition and giving the people the jobs, the perks that they want, isn't always so easy. So basically what you have is these party leaders being able to coerce the prime minister, force him to give them what they want, even though it might not be what he wants. So it's a unique process, and a lot of fraud and corruption could take place during the times like this. Now, if no coalition is formed, which has happened three times in the last five elections, then the president can choose another party leader that did not have the majority of the votes and ask him to try and build a coalition. So far, they haven't been able to do that. And if that doesn't happen, a deadlock could result And that dissolves the parliament as it was just elected, and they hold other elections in three months. That's why in a 12-month period of time, they held three elections, because they couldn't agree on the party system and the coalition. And now I know that one of the reasons Caroline was so excited was they thought if they got 61 votes, that just wasn't going to be enough, because just anything could happen with one person that's holding the margin there for them. And so with 64, they feel kind of confident that they're going to be able to get some things done. And they know that there's so many things that need to be done and done rapidly before the other side forms their plans against them. There's so many things that are critical right now because they felt that the other parties that were in power were post-Zionist parties. They were globalist parties. They were doing things that were really, really against the best interests of Israel. In fact, they called them existential threats to the very existence of Israel. And you would wonder why on earth people would elect them? Because part of the problem over the last several years has been a disagreement over personalities. The last two elections, the main mantra has been anybody but Netanyahu. It wasn't about what was best for Israel or who had the best ideas or platforms. It was about getting rid of Netanyahu, and they did. In the last election, they replaced him with the progressive left. Now, they tried to pass some laws so that Netanyahu could never again be prime minister. One of the laws was that anybody that's ever been indicted for any crime would not be allowed to be prime minister. And he was indicted for several things, which have not come to fruition. There was no proof in those crimes, but he was indicted on them. Another law that they tried to enact was that anyone who's been prime minister could not be prime minister for another four years. Well, Netanyahu is 72 years old, so that would preclude him from running again until he was 76. Fortunately, neither of those plans or laws were passed. So he was able to run. And by that time, after the people have lived with this current administration for a little over a year, first they had Naftali Bennett as the prime minister, now they have Yair Lapid. 
both of them took Israel in the wrong direction, and the people saw it. So it really didn't take a lot of politicking in order to win this time because the people didn't like the direction that the progressives were going. They wanted something different, and that something different happened to be the old guy. The old guy, not in age, but the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu has been the longest-running prime minister Israel's ever had. He's been in that position for 15 years. So, of course, he's going to develop enemies. What's interesting about all of this, to me, is how it correlates with our elections. Benjamin Netanyahu, you might say, is like President Trump. President Trump had the Russian gate information posed against him, which was false. And Benjamin Netanyahu has had the fraud and bribery charges proven false. So people were out to get both of them so that they would not be able to maintain their stature in politics. And all the information was false. Then you have the fact that the left wing, the progressives in the United States, have done everything they can to destroy President Trump's reputation, and the progressives in Israel have done everything they can to try and destroy Netanyahu. Even President Obama brought his people into Israel this last election, as well as an election a couple of years ago, in order to try and defeat Netanyahu because he didn't like him. So you have a distinct line between progressives and conservatives. You have that same thing here in the United States. We call it Democrats versus Republicans, but it's a progressive agenda. The Republicans will tell you that President Biden is leading our country to a globalist environment, that he is leading it away from what's best for the United States, just like what they were saying in Israel that the current party was doing. The similarities really are striking. And in this radio program that I was listening to, they made very clear the parallels, and it's just amazing. But they said what made this year's election different than the previous ones was it was no longer about anybody but Bibi, anybody but Netanyahu. And so, as you said, they started to see these policies that were against Israel, that were taking them down the wrong direction. Some of them are really, really critical, and we'll be talking about some of those here in a minute. But instead of focusing on personality, they had a chance to see that Netanyahu was being framed. There no, was no evidence in this trial that they've had. The trial was very one-sided. They did have cross-examination, but they said it was like January 6th, where you didn't get to hear about the other side. You didn't get to hear the defense's side of things. And so, but people are starting to figure that out, and they're seeing the direction the country's going. And it's a globalist kind of connection, same as what we, we see here in our country as well. So they're pretty alarmed, and I think that this is what made this election different. The people of Israel were very concerned because Yair Lapid, who is the current prime minister until this new government is formed, he supports the pre-67 borders in Israel. And if you go back and look at all the history there, what you find out is the pre-67 borders are unsustainable by Israel. That means that Israel would have to give up the whole West Bank, all of the Jordan Valley, and the Jordan Valley, which is the east side, the east border of Israel, is the only way to protect Israel from their enemies. They have to be able to secure that area. And yet, if you go to pre-67 borders, they cannot secure that. One of the things that Benjamin Netanyahu has always stood on is that they cannot accept the pre-67 borders. If they do that, 88% of Israel will be open to immediate attack from people in the West Bank. So that's a big, big issue, and yet there's a big distinction in both the 
progressives and the conservatives there. Another aspect is the Iranian situation. The current administration says that they don't want Iran to have any nuclear weapons, but they haven't been willing to do anything to stop them. Under Netanyahu, they did many things. Many of them were stealth. I mean, they sent people in there who were able to bomb parts of the Iranian nuclear plants and were able to obtain many of the documents showing that they were developing a nuclear program. Netanyahu has been very proactive. He has not actually bombed any of the sites in Iran because the United States has pretty much forbidden him to do that. But he's done a lot of other things, whereas the current administration hasn't. And everyone knows that as soon as Iran is able to get a nuclear weapon, they will use it against Israel because they have promised. One of their mantras is that they are going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And they plan to do it either by a nuclear bomb or by a suitcase nuclear bomb. Either way, they can cause a huge amount of damage. Interestingly enough, with all of the Palestinians, the Arabs who live in the area of Israel, and that's about 20-25% of Israel, they're willing to bomb them too because they simply want Israel wiped out. Israel can't have that. You need a leader who knows what's really happening behind the scenes, who knows what the lies are and what the truth is, and who is willing to go in and fight for his country. And that's what they have in Benjamin Netanyahu. But they didn't in Yair Lapid. Well, they also said, too, about Iran. Iran is in the throes of a revolution right now. It's a time to take advantage of that and to support the revolutionaries that are going against the Revolutionary Guard, including the military. I guess now military units are going ahead and joining the revolution, going against their reigning government as it is. Those people don't want that. So they said, this is the best chance of overthrowing this government since 1979. And what are we doing about it? What is Israel doing about it? They need a leader that will do anything and everything they can do to help support the people of Iran. And besides that, besides their national security, which is really their number one issue, they have an economic problem. Because currently their cost of living in Israel is skyrocketed. It costs $8 for a gallon of gas in Israel. If you buy a car in Israel, you have to pay for the car, and then your tax is the same cost that the car costs you. So if you pay $30,000 for a car, you're paying $30,000 in taxes. The cost of living in housing is astronomical. And you have a lot of wealthy people in Israel who can afford that, but you have a lot who cannot. So they need someone also who can deal with the economy. That certainly isn't Benjamin Netanyahu's fault or Yair Lapid's fault. It's just what's going on, especially after COVID. So Benjamin Netanyahu has said he will deal with that, whereas he wasn't as forceful in that area in his previous administrations. Then, of course, you have the peace with the Arabs, with the Palestinian Authority. That has been an ongoing issue. Yair Lapid, again, the current prime minister, believes that they can have peace with the Arabs if the Arabs want to have peace. Benjamin Netanyahu has been around long enough that he knows that every opportunity that's been offered to the Arabs for the last hundred years to have peace and to give them a state, they've turned down. They've rejected. So they don't want a two-state solution in Israel. He knows that. They want a one-state solution. He's willing to work towards a two-state solution if it can be done securely for Israel, but he also knows that the Arabs will keep taking and taking and taking until they have it all. So he's the one with the experience in dealing with the Palestinian Authority, 
whereas the progressive, as you said earlier, just want to follow the globalist agenda, which is, oh, let's make everybody happy. And that'll happen if we have a two-state solution. Well, it didn't quite work when they gave up the Gaza Strip to the Palestinians. The Gaza Strip was supposed to be the perfect example of how the Palestinians could manage their own territory and become a successful state. That happened in 2006, and since then, the Gaza Strip has been nothing but a terrorist enclave. They not only have Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, but they have the Islamic Jihad and a whole slew of other terrorist organizations that are trying to destroy Israel and are not building up their own infrastructure. So there's a lot of issues that Israel needs to deal with. One of the things that I think also upset the Israeli electorate this time compared to the government that has just previously been in was the weakness that they had in negotiating the maritime agreement. And when I talk about maritime agreement, I'm talking about the natural gas fields that are offshore from Israel. And there was a certain parallel between Lebanon and Israel where they had agreed always that that was the division of where their property was in the uh, sea there. It was um, one of those things where it had been agreed upon, and then all of a sudden they discovered this natural gas. And Lebanon, which is essentially Hezbollah, which are terrorists, decided that they wanted part of that. And the United States encouraged Israel to accept this agreement where they just gave away what should have been theirs. And I think the Israeli electorate was pretty upset about that, too. Well, the prime minister currently is Yair Lapid, and he made the decision, knowing that the elections were coming up, knowing that his party would probably not be reelected, he made the decision to sign that agreement, to make the agreement and to sign it. What happened right before we went to Israel was that they had dissolved their agreement process. The people in Lebanon were so upset with Israel because Israel gave them an option. Lebanon came back with their counteroffer, and Israel rejected it because they wanted the sun and the moon. They were angry at Israel, and they said they were going to shoot rockets into Israel. I thought, well, that timing isn't real good for us, but, you know, if they do, they do. Well, then, in a matter of days, Israel's back at the table, and they're agreeing to Lebanon's demands. First of all, the prime minister should not have done it because he's in a transition government, Secondly, he should never have kowtowed to all of the demands of the Hezbollah, as you say, the really the people who are running Lebanon. He shouldn't have agreed to that. He should have maybe gone into more negotiations, but he basically gave away the farm. Israel has all these billions of square feet of natural gas. And yes, part of that is Lebanon's border. And yes, there is a possibility to make some agreement with Lebanon that they could have some of the gas, but they gave away way too much. Now, Israel's thought is always, we will do anything to get peace. And that's what they were doing. They were compromising their future for a peace that they will never have because the political group that's running Lebanon, Hezbollah, is empowered and financed by Iran. Iran is doing everything they can to use Hezbollah on the north of Israel, Syria on the northeast, and the Gaza Strip on the southwest to fight and destroy Israel. They're putting rockets in there. They're also doing that with the Houthis down in Saudi Arabia in hopes of coming up through Saudi Arabia to garner the southeast part of Israel. Iran's running that group. Benjamin Netanyahu knows that, 
And he would have fought a lot harder to get a much better deal for Israel than they got. But Yair Lapid, he's a progressive. He wants to make all the globalists happy. He wanted to do what the United States wanted. And so he did something that was bad for Israel. That's a problem that potentially Benjamin Netanyahu may cancel that agreement or bring it back on the table to change. So those are all issues that we need to will be watching because, again, you have Benjamin Netanyahu as a nationalist who supports his country first and will stand for his people first, going against a globalist society. And everything in our society is moving to that globalist agenda. What's going to happen to him? We need to pray for him because he's really battling upstream in this regard, just as President Trump was when he took America back to making America great again so that we could strengthen ourselves at the same time as we're helping other people, but not let the United States digress to a country that won't be able to help the rest of the world or sustain itself. So very many similarities that we have between the United States and what we're doing politically and Israel. And the question then becomes, why do we care about it? It's another country. It doesn't affect us. But in fact, it does affect us. First of all, it's the only democracy in the Middle East. If there is ever going to be any peace in the Middle East, it's really going to come through the help of Israel. And we've already seen that as they have begun these Abrahamic Accords, which Benjamin Netanyahu started a few years ago. They already have agreements with four or five Arab countries, and they're looking at making one with Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's huge. These are Arab League nations who've always been against Israel, and yet they're making agreements with Israel. We also have to be concerned about Israel because of the promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Well, we want to be the country that blesses Israel so that we can be blessed. We want to support them, not just as the only democracy, but as the only Jewish country in the world. They have a right to have their own country, and we should be supporting them as God's people. Along with that, whatever is good for Israel is good for the United States. Consider a few things that when Bill Clinton agreed to the Madrid Conference and the Oslo Accords in 93, which go against God's plan for Israel because God does not want Israel to divide up their land, and yet the Oslo Accords promoted that, right after that, the great Midwestern flood of 1993 happened. So whenever we do something here in the United States that's against Israel, we have a consequence to that. When George W. Bush strongly encouraged Israel to withdraw from the Gaza Strip so they could have their own self-governing area, that's when Hurricane Katrina came. And then Ariel Sharon, who was the prime minister of Israel, when he was the one who gave up the Gaza Strip, within a few months he had a major stroke and was incapacitated for 10 years. I mean, God will honor those who honor Israel, but if we don't honor Israel, we will have consequences. We have to consider from the prophetic point of view that a future Israeli leader is going to be so weak that he's going to forge a seven-year peace agreement that's forced on him by the Antichrist of the future. And that's in Daniel 9.27. Now, we want Jesus to return, and, and return soon would be great, but we also don't want weak leaders in Israel. And it's going to take a weak leader who's forced into that agreement that will start the tribulation period. So we want to pray for strong leaders. And I encourage you, 
be praying for Benjamin Netanyahu as he forms his government and that it will be a solid government and they will be able to make the reforms both nationally, internationally, and with their Arab neighbors that they need to make in order to have a peaceful environment or at least as peaceful as they can be until Jesus returns. Because the reality is Israel will never find peace until the Prince of Peace comes and makes peace in Israel. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.